Well, good morning to you. How great the Lord is. Man, and that's why we're here. He is great. He is an awesome, awesome, awesome God. Uh, really good to see you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We will be actually all over 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 today. You can just uh, open up there to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we'll be starting in there. We'll put all the verses on the screen today. If you don't have a Bible, if you do have a Bible, I would encourage you to look in uh, your Bible. Let's pray as we get started this morning. Well, Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that... uh, Uh, In and through Christ Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, you've poured out salvation upon this earth to all who look to Christ in faith. And we just bless you for that, that through faith alone in Christ alone, we are forgiven people. We, We are your children. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God and children of God we are. And we just thank you for that, Lord God. And we thank you, Father, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And uh, for all the things the Spirit does in and through us, including enlighten the Scriptures to us. So we would just ask, Father, for that enlightening work of the Spirit today upon your Word. Will you bless us now, we ask, Lord God, in and through the Scriptures. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as many of you hopefully know now, we started a new sermon series last week. I've been uh, preaching through the book of Acts, but we're pushing pause on Acts uh, for a little while. So I can do a series on 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you first put your faith in Christ Jesus and you start to follow Christ in faith, well, the Bible says you now have the Holy Spirit living within you, which is a really cool thing. And the Holy Spirit now empowers you. The Holy Spirit now gives you certain gifts, spiritual gifts. Not every Christian has the same gifts, the same mix, or the strength of gifts. But listen, every Christian has spiritual gifts. But we need to understand those gifts. We need to understand how to use them as God intended. So we're doing a series on the spiritual gifts. We'll start next Sunday just working verse by verse through 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. But the first two sermons of this series, last Sunday and again today, I'm doing just a couple introductory sermons, just covering some basic issues on the gifts of the Spirit. Last Sunday's sermon was titled, Why the Spiritual Gifts? And I just gave reasons last Sunday why we're actually doing uh, this series on the gifts. And the title today is, Why All the Spiritual Gifts? And I just want to give you today a couple reasons why we believe that all the gifts of the Spirit are still active today. Uh, Some Christians today believe certain gifts have ceased. That is a position called cessationism, believing some of the more extraordinary gifts like, uh, like prophecy or tongues or the gift of healings. Cessationism believes that those extraordinary gifts ceased in the late first century when the, when the 12 apostles died. But the official position of this church is not cessationism, it is continuationism. We believe all of the gifts of the Spirit still continue. 
our elder affirmation of faith. It is on our website. It's a document that we took originally from Bethlehem Baptist Church, the church that planted this one. That elder affirmation of faith, the document was written primarily by John Piper and others at Bethlehem. And our elder affirmation of faith has a clear statement concerning the continuation of the gifts. Our elder affirmation of faith says this. It's a long statement. Bear with it. It's all the work of the Spirit here. We believe that all the newness of this era is marked by the unprecedented mission of the Spirit to glorify the crucified and risen Christ. This He, the Holy Spirit, does by giving the disciples of Jesus greater power to preach the gospel of the glory of Christ, by opening the hearts of hearers that they might see Christ and believe, by revealing the beauty of Christ in His Word and transforming His people from glory to glory, and the Holy Spirit also manifests Himself in spiritual gifts, being sovereignly free to dispense, as He wills, all the gifts of 1 Corinthians 12, 8-10, for the upbuilding of the body of Christ and the confirmation of His Word. So, that is just a clear statement, our elder affirmation of faith. The elders of this church joyfully embrace all of that document, including that statement. This is officially a continuationist church, believing that all the gifts of the Spirit still function today. Now, you don't have to believe that to be part of this church. We would just ask you that if you are a cessationist and you think some of the gifts have ceased, we would just ask you in the interest of unity that you would keep that to yourself and not teach or encourage other people here to believe other than what the elders think is biblical. And let me just say this, if, if you are wrestling with this issue a little bit on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, can I just say all the grace in the world to you? Listen, you know, you maybe grew up in a particular church tradition like me that never even talked about the gifts. So now the whole topic is just foreign to you. Or you have a favorite preacher you like and he is a cessationist, so you just naturally lean in that position. Or you've maybe seen abuses of the gifts of the Spirit. You've maybe been hurt by people who said they practiced the so-called gifts and you are now understandably very, very wary. If that's you in in any way and, and, and you trust in Christ today, listen, your heavenly father is very patient with you. He's very gentle. He's kind. He's, he's loving. He doesn't force you. He doesn't pressure, pressure you. He, he works with you and, and he gives you space to wrestle with these things. It's okay. And you can trust your heavenly father to lead you. And I'll lay my own personal cards on the table. I wrestled a ton with this issue myself. I started out in my life in a cessationist church. I don't think they ever mentioned the gifts. I didn't know they existed. Uh, My family later moved to a continuationist church that actually taught and pursued the gifts. And when I went to college, I saw many abuses of the gifts. And, And those abuses kind of set me on this trajectory to really try to figure out what I believed. And I almost became a cessationist. My seminary was fairly cessationist, and I heard that cessationist argument for four years, backwards and forwards, and I tried to embrace that cessationist argument, but there was a problem, because one of the first things they taught me in seminary was to read widely. 
Don't just read from the people in your own tribe. Don't just listen to your favorite preacher, but listen to both sides of the fence. Because Proverbs 18, 17 says this, the one who states this case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. (laughs) So don't just listen to the first person who speaks. Let the other side speak or you will end up in the ditch. And listen, I just read widely like they told me to do in seminary. And I came out of seminary a very strong, very happy continuationist. One of the primary reasons that I wanted to plant a church through Bethlehem Baptist Church because I knew they were continuationist and I wanted to be in that type of church. But I understand the wrestling if that's you. So man, grace to you, the Lord will lead you and, and hopefully give you confidence today in the gifts of the Spirit. So, so let me give you now just two reasons here today why I and, and why we, the elders of this church, believe all that the gifts continue. Why are we continuationists? Here's reason number one, scripture. Because we believe the most biblical position, the most scriptural position by far is not cessationism, but continuationism. And listen, When it comes to any debate in the Christian world, Scripture is where we must start and finish. We we don't look primarily at what some person said. We don't look primarily at so-called abuses of things. Yes, let's weigh those things in due time. But the most important question by far, what do the Scriptures say? This is the only book on the planet breathed out by the God of this universe. And it is to this book, first and foremost, that we must always appeal. In the 1500s, when the Christian world was steeped in Roman Catholic traditions of men that had obscure, obscured the true gospel, well, God very graciously and sovereignly sparked a reformation through men like Luther and Calvin and Zwingli. And one of the rallying cries of those reformers, the cry that ripped away those traditions of men, it was sola scriptura. What do the scriptures say? They had a Latin phrase they used, ad fontes, back to the fountains, back to the sources, sola scriptura. And here it is, the Protestant rule of faith produced in the Reformation, it goes like this, this is what the Reformer said, the word of God as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments is the only infallible rule of faith and practice. And listen, in this debate then concerning the gifts such as prophecy and tongues and healing, the most important question by far is what do the Scriptures say? Sola Scriptura. And what do the Scriptures say concerning the miraculous gifts? Well, for starters, we must simply recognize that the Bible talks a lot about those so-called extraordinary gifts. If you look in your Bible at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, here's the Apostle Paul These are the gifts that were mentioned in our elder affirmation of faith that we affirm are still functioning today. Paul's just going to list some of the gifts. 
He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one, one Christian is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues." So it's just a clear statement, gifts that the Spirit gives, including prophecy, tongues, healing, working of miracles. I just want you to see it there in Scripture, or look at the end of chapter 12, if you will. We won't read it, but Paul mentions again the gifts of prophecy, tongues, healing, working of miracles. Or flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and if you look at verse 1, Paul says this, Pursue love. Pause there. Let your hardest pursuit as a Christian be the pursuit of love. More important than any gift is the pursuit of love. But that doesn't mean that you don't pursue the gifts. No, pursue love, Paul says, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The Greek verb for earnestly desire is zelao, which according to BDAG, this is from the most respectable Greek lexicon on the market. Zelao, the Greek word, it's translated as earnestly desire. It means to be positively and intensely interested in something. To strive or to desire, or to exert oneself earnestly, or to be dedicated. And notice in verse 1 that zelao is a command. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So, to use bedag, the Greek lexicon, be positively and intensely interested in the spiritual gifts. Strive for, desire, Exert yourself for, be dedicated to the spiritual gifts, especially, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, especially earnestly desire that you may prophesy one of those extraordinary gifts. And because prophecy for Paul, as we saw last Sunday, it is one of the highest Uh, if not the highest of the spiritual gifts. So just notice there in the Scriptures, direct command, inspired Scripture to earnestly desire the gift of prophecy. Then just glance at all of chapter 14. It is an entire chapter of inspired Scripture dedicated to tongues and prophecy. And Paul encourages those gifts. If you look at verse 5, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more... I want you to prophesy. Or look at verse 39. So my brothers, brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. It's another command, zelao, strive for, exert yourself earnestly to prophesy. And a second command right there from Paul, do not forbid speaking in tongues. And, and we, we could just go on. You could look at Romans 12 or, or 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It, it says this, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. And, and there are lots of more. So, so just see that, just all these texts where those extraordinary gifts are mentioned, encouraged, God commanding that we desire them, that we use them. 
But we then also just need to notice in Scripture, we just need to notice how often those gifts are actually operating all over the New Testament books. And here's the thing, not just with the 12 apostles, which is important. Because some cessationists say that those extraordinary gifts prophecy and tongues and gift of healing, well, they were just given, they say, to authenticate the 12 original apostles. God was just attesting through those miraculous gifts that these were his chosen apostles, and then when they died, those gifts were no longer necessary. And that's a cessationist argument for why extraordinary gifts have ceased. But here's the thing. There is extensive New Testament evidence that those miraculous gifts operated not just among the apostles, but among lots of no-named Christians, young and old, across the breadth of the Roman Empire, all of them exercising those gifts in, in different ways. Just this, just this prevalence of those extraordinary gifts, not just with the apostles, but with other no-name Christians. And some cessationists will then say, well, those those extraordinary gifts just functioned under an apostolic umbrella then. Not just the apostles with those gifts, but also Christians living at the same time, connected to the apostles, but those gifts were still just attesting to or authenticating the original apostles And once those apostles died, those gifts were no longer needed and and they ceased. And the problem with that, one of the problems, we'll get to another one later. One of the problems is that there is then extensive historical evidence that says that those gifts did not actually cease. In the first century, which I'll get to in a second. But that does bring up an important point. Another thing we need to look at, sola scriptura. Many cessationists say that the reason God gave those miraculous gifts was to authenticate the original apostles. God attesting through those gifts that these are his chosen men. So now that they've died, those gifts are no longer necessary. So what do we do with that cessationist claim? Sola Scriptura. What do the Scriptures say about that claim? That the gifts were given primarily just to authenticate the original apostles. Does God, in the entire Bible, ever say, that the reason for those miraculous gifts was to authenticate the original apostles, and the answer is a resounding no. Not one time does Scripture ever say that was the reason for those miraculous gifts. Not one time in this Bible. Not one text. Sam Storm says this, He says, nowhere in the New Testament is the purpose or function of the miraculous or the charismata reduced to that of attestation. Nowhere. 
And, and listen, all due respect to my cessationist friends, I do have many of them, and I truly love them. And if you're here today as cessation, I'm not trying to come down on you. I am trying to be firm because I don't believe it's biblical. And as lead pastor of this church, I'm going to put my heels in the ground and say that publicly. That is our position as a church, so thank you for just understanding uh, where I'm coming from as lead pastor. But all due respect to my cessationist friends. But listen, some will argue vehemently, and I've heard it, that that was the primary reason why those miraculous gifts were given, to authenticate the original apostles. It's just that the Bible never says that. Ever. Anywhere. Not even once. Now, listen, that, that might have been one of the reasons for those gifts. God showing by those miraculous gifts that the gospel message those apostles preached was true. But don't we, God, don't we need God to confirm our gospel message today, just like he confirmed it back then? And listen, nowhere mentioned that that was the sole exclusive reason or even the primary reason for those gifts. To authenticate those 12 men so that once those apostles died, those gifts were no longer needed. Bible never says that. You know, when you stop and think about it, God actually tells us in the Bible repeatedly why all of the spiritual gifts, including the miraculous ones, were given. And what does God say in Scripture? Well, look again at 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All the gifts, including those miraculous gifts that Paul will then go on to mention, they were all given for the common good of the church. Or as Paul says elsewhere in these chapters, he says this type of stuff multiple times. He says that we're given for the edification, for the upbuilding, for the encouragement, for the consolation of the church, the body of Christ. And, And just pause. That's important. That is God's clearly expressed, explicit purpose for all of the spiritual gifts. They're given for the common good of the church. And does God say anywhere in the Bible that the church today would no longer need the common good that all those spiritual gifts would supply? No. I read nothing in the Bible that indicates that the church would ever progress in history beyond the point of needing the edification and the upbuilding and the strengthening that comes from the spiritual gifts. That is God's written express purpose for all the gifts. Says repeatedly that they were given for the common good of the church. But God never says anywhere that they were given solely, exclusively, or even primarily for just the authentication of the apostles. Scripture never once says it. So that's... That, that, that's where we need to start. We will look at the scripture when it comes to those miraculous gifts. Just notice how many times those gifts are mentioned, and not just with the apostles. And notice the purpose of those gifts for the common good of the church. And let's then ask an, a, another question of scripture. Do, does God 
anywhere in the entire Bible say that any of those spiritual gifts would ever cease? Does God say it? In all 66 books, this only rule for faith and practice in the Christian life, does God say anywhere, any text whatsoever, that any of those gifts would ever cease? And the answer, not one text. Not one text. And I I just cannot stress that enough with you. Because it is kind of presented sometimes, like if you believe in the gifts today, well, you're a loony. There's not one text that says they would ever cease. I've said it from this pulpit before, I'll say it again, just show me the text. Sola Scriptura. But the text is, is not there. Now, now, cessationists will appeal to certain texts to try to support their argument, but there's no text anywhere that says they would cease. Michael Brown, a continuationist, he, he says this. He says, even responsible cessationists will concede. The Bible does not teach cessationism. Scripture has no explicit cessationist statement. And, and just in case you don't agree with that, what he said... Responsible cessationists do actually concede that point right there. Thomas Schreiner, one of the most responsible, respected of all cessationists today, he says this, Nowhere does the New Testament clearly teach that supernatural gifts have ceased. Just pause. Just pause. Pause. Probably the most well-respected, the most responsible, the most gentle, the most humble. It's one of the reasons I've loved this man. This debate can get angry and mean and self-righteous. And he is very, very humble, gentle, kind, gracious. And he just honestly admits what is the case. Nowhere. Does the New Testament clearly teach that supernatural gifts have ceased? And and listen, for evangelicals that claim that Reformation cry of sola scriptura, that is highly significant. Highly significant. In this all-sufficient scripture... God did not give us even one text that says that any of the spiritual gifts would cease. So, let's ask another question then. Are there scriptures that indicate that all of the gifts would continue? And we would say yes. (laughs) There are multiple texts that seem to indicate that the gifts would continue. I can't run through them all. be happy to give you some later. I'd point you to Acts chapter 2. We won't read it. You don't have to go there. It's the day of Pentecost where Peter, quoting from the book of Joel, he says that in the last days, God's Spirit would be poured out on all flesh, 
And God's people, both young and old, slave and free, would prophesy and dream dreams and and see visions. And listen, that phrase Peter uses, in the last days, when God's people would prophesy, that phrase in the Bible, in the last days, does not refer to just the days of the apostles. It just doesn't. It refers to the entire new covenant age in which we now live, from the first coming of Christ to the second coming. Even John Calvin said it. He said this, the whole period of the new dispensation or the whole period of the new covenant, from the time when Christ appeared to us with the preaching of his gospel until the day of judgment is designated in the Bible by those phrases, the last hour, the last times, the last days. The last days is the entire new covenant era in which we now live. And what did Peter say would happen in the last days? He said that God's people would prophesy. They would dream dreams. They would see visions. And, and please just pause. Peter did not say in Scripture that in the last day days, God's people would prophesy and then not prophesy. No, he didn't say that. He said God's people would prophesy. The Apostle Peter clearly expected that God's people would prophesy throughout the entire age. The age of the Spirit, the new covenant in which we now live. And we find even stronger language with the Apostle Paul, who makes several Statements that indicate that his expectation was also that all the gifts would continue. Paul actually, you listen to this. Paul actually tells us exactly when the gifts of tongues and prophecy would cease. He says it exactly in the Holy Scripture. And what does Paul say? When will those things actually cease? At the return of Christ. Let me, let me show you. If you look in your scriptures at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and look down at verse 8. Paul's going to tell you right here when these things pass away. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge... It will also pass away at that time. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now... I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So, yes, prophecy and tongues, they will someday pass away. They will cease. And when will they cease, though? When the perfect comes, Paul says. And what is this perfect that is coming when these things will cease? It is the second coming of Christ. Paul says that now we see in a mirror dimly. Now we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, we will then, Paul says, see 
face to face. We, we will then know fully, even as we have been known. And when is that? When we will see God face to face. And when we will know God fully, just the way we have been known. When is that? When is this perfect coming? Oh, the Bible's crystal clear on that. It will be in heaven at the return of Christ. Revelation 22.4 We will then see His face and no longer see in a glass dimly. We will no longer know in part. This knowledge will be gone. We'll know fully just as we have been known. We now know in part and we prophesy in part but when that perfect comes that is when tongues and prophecy will cease. Now, some cessationists have tried to argue. (laughs) I don't know how. They've tried to argue that the perfect that Paul was talking about there was just the close of the New Testament canon. We now, so the argument would go like this, we now, before all the New Testament books were written, we now know in part, we prophesy in part, but once the perfect comes and all the books are finally written at the end of the first century, well, we will then see God face to face. We will then know God fully and prophecy and tongues will, will pass away. But listen, all respect to my cessationist friends, that is just very poor biblical exegesis. It is just very, very poor biblical exegesis. Surely the Apostle Paul did not think that the perfect, the time when we would actually see God face to face and know God fully just as God has known us would be just when all the books of the Bible were finally written. Especially when you consider that all the rest of Scripture says that we will only see God face to face and only know God fully in heaven. That's what all of Scripture says. That biblical canon interpretation of this text, it just is it's poor exegesis. And it's by people who are trying to use Scripture to make a cessationist argument. Because it's clear the perfect is the return of Christ. And that, according to the Apostle Paul, is when prophecy will cease. And until then, it will continue. John Piper said this, He said, Paul is saying that prophecies will pass away not when the New Testament is completed, but when this age is completed at the second coming. That's when the perfect comes. That's when all speaking and thinking and reasoning like a child will be put away. That's when we will see face to face. That's when we will know fully, even as we have been fully known. Now, what difference does this make for us? It means that the spiritual gift of prophecy has not passed away but is meant for the good of the church until Jesus comes. Or Jason Meyer, who replaced John Piper as pastor at Bethlehem, he said this, Paul's argument that tongues and prophecy will end when the perfect comes is a reference to the second coming of Christ, not the close of the biblical canon. I tell my cessationist friends that there is a day coming when I too will be a cessationist, the second coming of Christ. And that is when I will be a cessationist, when all the gifts cease because we see face to face, no longer seeing in a glass dimly. We know fully then just as we have been known. And we don't need the partial things any longer. And and once again, 
Listen, even responsible cessationists recognize the strength of that text from 1 Corinthians 13. Tom Schreiner, again, one of the most responsible, respected cessationists today, says this, a good case for the continuation of the gifts until Jesus' second coming can be made from 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. And there are other texts that we continuationists would point to. So I'll just ask you to pause. Sola Scriptura, only rule for faith and practice. And what does inspired Scripture say? Well, Scripture talks a lot about those miraculous gifts, even commanding that we earnestly desire them. Scripture then gives us an explicit purpose for those gifts, not primarily to authenticate the apostles, but for the common good of the church. Scripture then says nowhere that any of those gifts would ever cease, and Scripture then indicates several times that all those gifts would continue. And just pause, because listen, as I wrestled with these things on my own and wrestled a ton in the scriptures, I had to finally conclude that scripture comes down heavily on the side of continuationism. And I I just, just pause and just think, a man on a desert island his entire life, no experience of the church today or of history, hasn't listened to any of the arguments that are out there about this thing, and he finds the Bible washed up on a shore and he reads it. All that man has is sola scriptura. And that man is going to read the Bible and become a cessationist? Wow! Those gifts sound awesome. Too bad they stopped in the first century when the apostles died, because they would have been great, man. I just cannot believe that. I cannot believe that. That man would just naturally expect those gifts to continue. In order to become a cessationist, he would need someone to come to him from the outside and explain to him why certain things had ceased today. (laughs) Maybe somebody would come to him and just tell him how many abuses were in the world today. Maybe somebody would come to him and just tell him that all the so-called miraculous gifts today, well, they're just false or demonic. And he might then become a cessationist. But in all of my wrestlings with this thing, I just could not believe that anyone would become a cessationist from a simple reading of God's inspired word, Sola Scriptura. And why? Because cessationism is simply not in the text. It's not there. And that's the first reason why we believe all the gifts still continue, is Scripture. And please, in all your wrestlings, in all the things you read, listen to the Scriptures. What are they saying about the Word of God? And find the clear statement, the clear testimony of Scripture, and start there. Scripture, that's why we're still continuationists, because we believe the most biblical position by far is not cessationism, but continuationism. And point number two, the second reason today why we believe all the gifts continue, history. History. 
I want you to think about something for just a second. You might not realize this, but that cessationist argument, to a large degree, it is an argument based on experience. It's an argument based on experience. Now, some cessationists, they like to say that we continuationists base everything on experience. We've had, we've had some, something, that we've experienced something, we thought it was the Spirit, we thought it was a, a spiritual gift, and because of our experience, we're now continuationists. And yes, some continuationists might be like that. And I will say there needs to be a correction to continuationists who base too much on experience. Because this is our only rule for faith and practice. But, but not all continuationists base everything off experience. I don't think I do. No, we look primarily at the Scriptures, not at experience, and we're just not at all convinced that the Scriptures teach cessationism. But listen, ironically, that cessationist argument, to a large degree, is an argument from experience. It's an argument from a lack of experience. The people who came up with cessationism, listen, they weren't sitting around on a desert island reading the scriptures and said, wow, too bad those gifts ceased. No, what happened? They didn't feel that they were experiencing those miraculous gifts in their lives. They, they, they then began to look around and didn't think the world was experiencing those miraculous gifts. And they then began to ask why. And they then looked at the scriptures and came up with possible reasons why they were experiencing what they were experiencing. It started with experience, though. Just be clear, that cessationist argument to a large degree, it is based on experience. It's just based on the lack of experience. But that begs the question, have the extraordinary gifts been experienced in the world, in history, after the first century. Because the cessationist argument rests on that. They say the miraculous gifts ceased with the death of the apostles. So did they. And, and listen, you can't even answer that clearly. Because in order to truly prove whether those gifts have ceased in the past 1900 years, you need to know the personal history of every person on the planet since 100 AD, look at their lives and say, no, no real prophecy, tongues, gifts of healing, done, ceased. But you cannot do that. But here's what you can do. You can at least look at the history that's been recorded and the fact is when we look at history since the first century, we have lots of historical reports from reputable men and women who claimed that the miraculous gifts were still functioning in their day long after the first century. Sam Storms, in one of the appendices uh, to his book, Practicing the Power, I encourage you to look. There's an appendices there. It lists a wealth of historical accounts early church fathers and beyond after the first century claiming the miraculous gifts were still functioning. Or you can just go online. Sam Storms has four articles online with extensive documentation called Spiritual Gifts in, in Church History. 
And I'd encourage you to read those because, again, the cessationist argument, if it's not going to rest on Scripture, well, it has to rest on history. And that argument says that they stopped in the first century, so the natural question is, did they? And there are numerous historical accounts, all kind of people after the first century who claim the miraculous gifts were still functioning in their day. Let me give you just a taste. Justin Martyr, he died 165 A.D., pause, 165 A.D. is probably 80 years or so after the last apostle died. Justin Martyr, famous Christian in church history. Here's a quote from him. The prophetical gifts remain with us even to the present time. Or here's Irenaeus, died 202 A.D. This is over 100 years away now from the apostles. He said this, We've heard of many of the brethren who have foreknowledge of the future, visions and prophetic utterances. Others, by laying on of hands, heal the sick and restore them to health. We hear of many members of the church who have prophetic gifts and by the Spirit speak with all kinds of tongues and bring men's secret thoughts to light for their own good and expound the mysteries of God. And don't put the next slide up yet, but Tertullian, another name you've probably heard, very well-known Christian, died 220 A.D. Now, this is over 120 years away from the apostles. And in his battles against the heretic Marcion, Tertullian mocked Marcion and his false god. And Tertullian dared Marcion's god to predict things to come or to make manifest the secrets of the heart or to interpret tongues or to prophesy. And Tertullian then said this, all these signs are forthcoming from my side without any difficulty. All these signs claiming they were on the true side of Christianity 220 A.D. Origen died 253 A.D. said of the Christians in his day, they expel spirits and perform many cures and foresee certain events according to the will of the Logos, which is Christ. Cyprian, no slide, don't have it, died 258 A.D. He wrote often of the gift of prophecy and the receiving of visions from the Spirit in his day. Basil the Great died 379 A.D. Said about Christians in his day, the Spirit enlightens all, inspires prophets, is active in gifts of healing, gives life to the dead. Cyril of Jerusalem died 386 A.D. That's now almost 300 years after the death of the last apostle. He said of Christians in his day, the Spirit employs the tongue of one man for wisdom, the soul of another he enlightens by prophecy, to another he gives power to drive away devils. Or St. Augustine died 430 A.D. At first, Augustine denied that the miraculous still occurred, but he later recanted. And in his book, The City of God, you can go get it, you can read it, he carefully documented in that book some 70 instances of divine healing that he knew of personally in a two-year span in his area. So we're now up to 430 A.D. And there are many more accounts in that time period, early church fathers, our ancestors, those are the roots of our tree. 
And there are numerous historic claims regarding the continuation of the miraculous gifts. And the historical accounts just continue all the way through history to the present day. Now, what some cessationists have tried to do is they've tried to write all those accounts off, and they've tried to write all those things off as just false miracles or demonic or something. But can I just tell you, historically speaking, that just doesn't hold water. You can't grab the 98% of what those men said and embrace it, and then they say something like that, and you write it off as false. D.A. Carson, who, in my opinion is one of the most solid exegetes of Scripture today. He wrote an excellent book on the spiritual gifts, so helpful in my own wrestlings. I would highly recommend his book called Showing the Spirit. He just walks through 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. He interacts both with cessationists and with hyper-charismaniacs, which needs to happen. So I'm thankful for D.A. Carson that he drew a biblical line in the middle of cessationism and crazyville. And D.A. Carson says this about the historical accounts. He says, There is enough evidence that some form of charismatic gifts continued sporadically across the centuries of church history that it is futile to insist on doctrinaire grounds that every report is spurious, false, or the fruit of demonic activity or psychological aberration. There's just too many historical accounts. You just cannot write them all off and say there were no gifts of the Spirit in human history. So listen, from a purely historical perspective, just operating as a historian now, this argument that the miraculous gifts suddenly ceased late first century, with all due respect, that argument historically is just very, very weak. It is untenable. It's indefensible. It just just is. And listen, all I've mentioned here are just some of the many historical records of famous people who actually wrote things down. Who actually reported things. We have nothing from billions of other Christians throughout history. And if even the famous people reported these miraculous gifts... How many unnamed Christians would also bear testimony to the continuation of the miraculous gifts in their lives? And to stand here today with all the evidence we do have and say that no Christian in 1900 years has experienced those miraculous gifts, I'm sorry. But that is incredibly presumptuous. John Piper says this. There are probably more miracles happening today than we realize. If we could collect all the authentic stories all over the world. From all the missionaries and all the saints. In all the countries of the world, all the cultures of the world, if we could collect all the millions of encounters between Christians and demons and Christians and sickness and all the so-called coincidences of the world, we would be stunned. We would think we were living in a world of miracles, which we are. Listen, I, I grant freely 
that you might not have experienced the miraculous gifts in your lives, in your life. I grant freely that you might not have seen the extraordinary gifts in the world around you. Pause. Does your experience of those gifts, your lack of experience, does that then mean that all the miraculous gifts have ceased 1,900 years ago? Or do you think there just might possibly be other reasons why Christians at times do not experience those miraculous gifts? Do you think God might just sovereignly withhold them at times for His own purposes? Or do you think it's possible that Christians actually quench the Spirit at times and don't experience those gifts? Or... Do you think that maybe your cessationist beliefs quench the Spirit in your life? Because God clearly says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues And if you are not earnestly desiring those things, isn't it possible that you're quenching the Spirit and God therefore has not given them to you? There's lots of reasons why you might not have experienced the gifts, but please hear me. Do we then need to jump to the conclusion that no person on the planet has experienced them? for the past 1,900 years. So those are just two of the reasons we believe all the gifts still continue, Scripture and history. Because we believe that both Scripture and history fall on the side of continuationism. Listen, if you're wrestling with these things today, grace to you. Grace to you. Please hear me, though. I would just encourage you to be very careful before you embrace that cessationist position. Because here's the thing. I'm going to end with this. I'll put just a couple scriptures on the screen for you here. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, the scriptures say, especially that you may prophesy. Earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Just just leave that up. Those right there are very clear apostolic commands. Inspired Scripture breathed out by God. Now, is it possible that those commands were just for a certain time. It is possible 
Other things in the Bible were just for a time, like casting out of lo- or the casting of lots. But listen, please hear this. With multiple clear commands like that, and there are others, a proper reading of the Scriptures would say that those commands still apply today unless someone can prove that they do not. And do you know what that means? The burden of proof in this debate lies squarely with the cessationist. Sometimes this is presented like it's a one-to-one tie. It is not. Scripture is on the side of the continuationist. The burden of proof lies with the cessationist. If you say those commands no longer apply, you must prove it. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, first and foremost, from Scripture, sola scriptura, what does God's Word say? But also then from history, since that cessationist argument rests on history. And if you cannot prove that the cessationist argument, if you can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt, please hear me on this, it would not be safe or wise to abandon clear biblical commands. The safest position is continuationism. I cannot stand when cessationists paint it like those who believe in the continuation of the gifts are in an unsafe position. The safest scriptural position is to obey those commands unless someone meets the burden of proof and proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that they no longer apply. And I personally, in all of my reading, study of the scriptures and other things, I have not yet heard one cessationist argument that I felt met that burden of proof. Not one. Now, I don't always know how the gifts function today. I don't always know those things. But until somebody meets that burden of proof, I will not believe that they have ceased. So I would just encourage you to move safely. It would not be safe or wise for you as a Christian to abandon clear biblical commands just because of your personal experience. It would not be wise to abandon those commands just because your early church never talked about those things. It would not be wise to abandon those commands just because your favorite preacher says they're no longer for you. It would not be wise to abandon those commands just because you've seen or heard abuses with those gifts. As a pastor, if I died and stood before God, I would not be able to stand before Him with a clear conscience if I told you to abandon those commands. I won't do it. I won't do it. And if I get to the judgment seat and God asks me, why did you encourage people to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, including that they might prophesy? I'll say, because your word says. And I feel very, very safe there. But if I get there and I've told you for the next 20 years that you abandon those clear apostolic commands and I get there and God says they didn't cease. Why did you do that? Because pastor so-and-so said it to me. That is not safe. That is not safe. 
That is not safe. So please, if you're wrestling, I would encourage you, move slowly. Move slowly. Take your time. Compare Scripture with Scripture. Listen to history. Listen to both sides of the fence. But until someone proves you beyond a shadow of a doubt, primarily from the Scripture, that those commands no longer apply, then do not abandon those spiritual gifts. Because here's the thing, if those gifts are still functioning today and you abandon them, well then you are quenching the Spirit in your life and in our church. And we believe strongly that that cessationist position, please hear me, we believe strongly it is a definite quenching of the Spirit. We believe all the gifts still continue today for the common good of our church. And whatever gifts God would be pleased to give us here, man, we just want Him to give them to us. But here's the thing that's important for continuationists. We want to practice them biblically. Too many in the past have not. And that's where the abuses come in. We want to practice them biblically. So starting next Sunday, we're going to start to walk through these chapters in 1 Corinthians because God tells us here how to use His gifts for His glory and for our good as He intended. Let's pray. Well, Father, just bless your holy name. I just personally, as a lead pastor, can stand before you in great conscience right now. I have stood upon what I believe your scriptures clearly, clearly teach. If I am in error, Father, I trust you will show me you are gracious, you are kind, you are gentle, you are loving. So, Father, show me. But right now, I believe I'm standing upon your word, and I thank you for it, Lord God. I want to thank you right now publicly for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to thank you, Father, publicly for all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all the manifestations of you, all of them. I thank you, Father, for the gift of prophecy. I thank you, Father, for the gift of tongues. I thank you, Father for the interpretation of tongues. I thank you, Father, for the gift of healing. I thank you, Father, for the working of miracles. I thank you, Father, for mercy and leadership and administration and contribution. I thank you, Father, for the gift of teaching, the gift of evangelism. And I would just look to you, Father, on behalf of my entire church, and I would just say, yes, Father. Yes, Father. All that you want to give us. All that you would be pleased to give us in and through your Holy Spirit. And I sense that you are very pleased right now. I sense, Father, that you will cause things to begin to happen in our church because we have stepped out in faith upon your scriptures. Father, help us, we pray. Father, help us. Here I stand, so help me God. Here we stand as elders of this church. And though we're mocked by everybody, here we stand, Lord God. We bless you. We thank you. We praise you. Gentle, good, faithful Holy Spirit, our comforter, our encourager, our paraclete, the one who empowers us, the one who enlightens the scriptures. Would you be pleased to give us many of your spiritual gifts here, many, uh, many of you, the manifestations of you. I pray for our church that you would stir our hearts so that we would earnestly desire your gifts. Lord, it's so easy to read and hear you say earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but we can't change our desire. So Lord, we would just pray with St. Augustine, command what you will, but give what you command. 
If you command us to earnestly desire, then Lord God, give us that earnest desire for your spiritual gift so that we might obey your scriptures. We thank you, Father, for your word. In the name of Jesus, amen.